Hello and welcome to Software Tech Talks. I'm Zoe Cunningham. Welcome to Software Tech Talks and I'm joined today by Vid and Usman and we are going to talk about data. There's a fantastic quote by Daniel Keyes Moran. You can have data without information, but you cannot have information without data. Data drives so many strategic decisions within organizations. Examples include new product and service developments, improvements in the user experience, how to launch into new markets, understanding of customer behavior, detecting patterns in productivity, reducing risk and operational losses, how to undercut the competition. The list is endless. But so many companies fail to harness their data properly and get blinded by the volume of data available. More importantly, many don't take data security seriously. Hardly a week goes by without a security breach from a leading brand, which demonstrates the need for businesses to invest in protecting their most important asset. So let's just do some quick introductions before we start. Hi, Vid and Usman. Hiya. Could I ask you both to introduce yourselves and say a bit about what you do and also give me an interesting fact about yourselves? So my name is Usman Iqbal. I'm a DevOps lead here at Software. And an interesting thing about me is I I just love DevOps. I love hardware. (laughs) I'm currently trying to build a private cloud at home based on OpenStack. Fantastic. Uh, Hi, I'm Vid. I'm, I'm a consultant, senior consultant at Software, working in business intelligence, so data Well, not very much sometimes. Interesting fact is, now I can give you an interesting fact that makes me look good or one that's amusing. (laughs) Amazing. Can we have both? We'll go for amusing. (laughs) (laughs) The one that makes me look good will take longer to think of. When I was much older than you'd expect, I got my hand caught in a blender, (gasps) which thankfully was only some minor superficial lacerations. Would you like to guess how old I was? 18. Yes. (laughs) 18. (laughs) So my first question is, what are the most common requests around data? What are clients trying to achieve with data? It's an interesting one, because all clients have data and always have just the nature in which the sort of the way they work with it has changed and what they expect from it has changed. To say that there are most common questions is is difficult to answer for me. It's more around what do we have? How can we use it? So you're saying it's hard, it's hard to even draw out a commonality because yeah. everything is so different and everything is so dependent yeah. on what data you have. And even within one company, you'll have multiple teams with multiple data sources and they either don't know what's coming in or are very siloed and don't really have the, the ability to communicate and collate this data in a useful way. So in terms of common requests, it's more around clients having a sort of black box understanding of their data, really. I definitely agree. One common case I've had is they want everything from the beginning and they don't really know what they want to do with it. So that makes it really hard because then where do you begin? And again, if you're not really sure what data they have, when they say they want everything, what actually do they want? So there's there's always a case then of you have to spend a few weeks with them, sit down and ask them, what are you actually after? And then try to turn it into more achievable targets. And maybe possibly also a case of prioritizing. Definitely. Like actually, what do you attack first? And Yeah, I'm a strong believer of doing things iteratively. And I think data, it has to be done iteratively because it changes so often. Once you do the first batch of reports or the first bit of understanding, everything could change. 
suddenly they get insights they didn't have before and then they want to go okay well instead of going left let's go right and let's look more into this or similar right exactly because by actually doing the first piece of work with the data you get some insights that you didn't have before and then you have more of an idea of what yeah. you can achieve yeah it's quite a tight feedback loop actually because you're not waiting for customers to tell you how how good it is you can just tell yourself so what are the best ways for businesses to use data to solve internal and sector challenges so what kind of things Obviously, leaving aside the fact that it is dependent on what data you have, (laughs) but what are the best outcomes that you can kind of aim towards? Yeah, it's interesting. I think when I've seen it used properly, it's when data reveals something that they didn't know about their customers or the people they're selling to. And likewise, something about the business itself. So places where in their ops chain, they're losing a lot of money or and not seeing where the value of that is coming from. So you're talking there about kind of very commercial applications yeah. Yeah, yeah. and that also gives you a way to think about how to prioritise. Like, is this, is this a nice to have or is this going to either save us yeah. a large amount of money or generate us a large amount yeah. of money and those are the things to prioritise. But also, if you're not really sure where you're spending your money, in terms, especially in marketing, for example, you might not realise actually how segmented and well, fragmented that your your business model is and actually you're not targeting your most valuable customers properly. There's actually a great case study of Lego who did something similar. It's actually an argument for not using big data. But <laughs> oh, fascinating. This is great. I love to hear this. <laughs> I think it was before they recently became quite successful. So it was in that down period in the early 2000s. They looked at all these huge quantities of data and done all this great business analysis and probably got some shiny consultants in and with fancy haircuts. Um, <laughs> and they found this great strategy supposedly and it completely failed and what they actually did was i think a vp went into his son's bedroom actually looked at how his son was using lego or his daughter whomever and sort of started from scratch from there i don't think that was solely responsible for their resurgence but i think that helped along the way of actually being able to target your core business segments properly you can't just look at the numbers. You have to yeah. get the feeling. Yeah, it's exactly. kind of what it's saying. Yeah, yeah. And also, it brings us back to that quote at the start: like you can have data without information, Precisely. and actually, it's yeah. the information that we're after in yeah. business. Because I would imagine they're purely looking at sales numbers, not actually looking at how the product was being used. I was just thinking, going back into the commercial side, there's always the issue of buy-in from senior management because you're. Um, you're bringing in a lot more information, a lot more different ways of looking at it. I'm thinking about a specific customer who, you know, you get the the top line information of do we make a profit? How much do we make? Maybe a bit of a breakdown, you know, through financial software or whatever they're using. But for them, getting that extra data meant they could understand how each region is doing, how each sector is doing, and even to a sort of a personal level, how each of their sales managers are managing as well. And that means they can then target a lot better with whatever limited resources they have. For example, if they notice that they're doing really well in the west of the world, maybe then they can put more resources to that, grow the business there, and sort of maximise what they're doing, get most bang for their buck. Mm. This is just such an interesting conversation because talking about information and then about kind of senior stakeholder buy-in, it's made me realise that obviously not all information is welcome and actually it's finding the messages that people want to hear, I guess. Yeah, I think even if they don't want to hear it, sometimes it's useful for them to know. For example, if they are making a loss in some certain area, but a huge enough gain that it gets masked, as painful as that is to know, 
they'll want to know it. Right, you can't deal with it until you know about it. Exactly. It's interesting, you can often find yourself in a position where you've done some work for a stakeholder who's sort of paying for the work, but all of the data suggests that they're not very good at their job. <laughs> and That's a bit awkward. Where do you go from there? Yeah. Well, they, they did one good thing. In they yeah, they commissioned the writers of work. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's have a chat through some of the pieces of software that are out there to help with this. So... How would you go about advising, say, say me, who is totally ignorant in this area, what kind of, of software I should, I should use? It all depends on, I think, the quality of your data, which I think is a, a running theme for anything related to data, is how good is your data, how much of it do you have, and how much you're willing to pay for it, basically. If you've got vast, vast, vast quantities of data, actually you probably want a team whose entire purpose is to analyse and work with your data and if you've got the, the, the budget for it. There's certainly a lot of effort required. It's not a case of slap on a product and yeah. you'll get insights. It's going to be a lot of data cleanliness, making sure it's in the right state. There's um, a common acronym, ETL, which means Extract, Transform, Load. And it fits in a lot with these sort of data pipelines because you can have all of this raw data, but because it's literally raw data, it can be very hard to pull insights out of. So building an ETL pipeline that then goes into one of these sort of data analytics softwares means you can get a lot more information out from a much more quicker time so that data that team is more a case of not just keeping an eye out and building dashboards but it's also a case of tidying the data making sure things make sense potentially talking to other stakeholders and other departments when they find something strange and sort of managing it it's a living organism almost yeah okay good so so lesson number one is my whole model of in my head that i'll just get my data and i'll get a piece of software and i'll plug them together and then boom i'll have some insights that's not even the right way to be thinking about it is what i'm hearing (laughs) i mean if you have a really really good team and really good data potentially that could happen it probably wouldn't it's more the exception isn't it i've yet to encounter a business or or an organization like that but there, there are softwares who are, which are very powerful and very, very valuable in the space. Uh, the three I can think of at the moment, Power BI, Tableau, ClickSense, all have their weaknesses and strengths. Tableau is sort of the big name at the moment, the, the messy, I think. That's a sports term. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> messy with an I, not with, with an I. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Nadal then. And Tableau is is very much yeah, the fashionable big label, but there are things that Tableau can't do, which other softwares like Power BI and ClickSense do very well. Power BI is a Microsoft option, so a lot of clients like it for that. And ClickSense is sort of the the old school, the big players from yesteryear who, who are making a comeback. Very much like Rocky, I think. I've not seen the films, I presume that's what happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and ClickSense has, has you know, recently started to regain some market share. So across the three of those, you, you could probably satisfy all your most of your data requirements but it still comes back to having that team even if it's three or four people you still need very good people who can build this stuff for you someone designated as your your data you know, person. data team yeah yeah you know 30 years ago you get away with giving an account in excel you, you can't really do that anymore to be honest you probably shouldn't have done it 30 years ago either but <laughs> that's neither here nor there yeah so it's then back to as well what data do you have what do you want to achieve and yeah. and thinking about everything as a kind of individual problem rather than trying to generalize definitely yeah some gains certainly with power bi because it is microsoft tightly integrates with azure and the whole microsoft ecosystem so if you can manage the disadvantages of using power bi like if they're not a particular issue for you then that could just slot in really quickly Mm. and it might just be a case of a checkbox in azure things just like spin up 
and you're good. I mean, all three of those tools are, are sort of front-end, if you like. So you put all your dashboards and stuff in there and click. Well, all three can, to some extent, do some data cleaning. But you still need, if your data is no good or is in lots of different sources, you still, still need that, um, that ETL that Osman was talking about in between. And there are, there are a variety of tools that can do that. You can either do it with bespoke SQL, which is, I think, something you're doing for a client at the moment. Yeah, one of our customers, it didn't make sense to build in a whole full-fat ETL tool. So we just used a number of SQL scripts and build it from there, really. Their specific requirements meant that we could drop and recreate the entire database every night. So it meant that instead of having to deal with differential data sets, we just literally just threw it all away and started again. But if, if you did have a much more complex setup, there's a tool called Alterix, Alter YX for spelling, and it, it can do quite a lot of that. It can plug into a variety of data sources combine them in any which way you can think of pretty much it's a very clever tool very expensive but yep. very clever tool nonetheless there are some others of course sql server integration services yes that's true and another one i used for a bit called talent which mm. looked really powerful but didn't have the opportunity yeah. to use on my last project i think like everything there's there's so many choices yeah. and they're all going to have disadvantages and advantages and as vid was saying you it's very hard to generalize yes yeah. well i think it, i think it is very interesting to have a chat through what the options are that people need to use kind of like at each stage in the life cycle. Something that I really picked up on, though, which I think is very interesting, is this this idea that actually maybe the biggest challenges or certainly like the preeminent challenges, the first challenges you have to deal with are actually not technical ones. You actually first have to get to grips with culture and how you're going about it. So how do you do that if you've got an organisation you know, most businesses, essentially, you have something you do well, that's why you're still in business. And so you kind of carry on like iterating from that. But if you don't have a data driven culture as part of that already, what are the changes you need to make to bed that in? Yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. The best client is really the one that just gives you the keys and says, just do what you can. Well, for me, anyway, others might disagree. Um, Either, yeah, it gives you all the freedom or knows exactly what you what they want. Anything in between means, you know, working in this murky world of stakeholder management and make sure everyone's happy. There's certainly the case where if they they know they want it, but they don't really know why or how, then as long as they're open to discussion, then, you know, we can work with them and try and work out what that is. And again, sort of build that phase one and start iterating from there. There's definitely the case that getting buy-in from the top is really important. And I think also there's a bit of a danger with them saying sort of go crazy here, the keys, because if they don't know what they want, you yeah, might give weird. them something they didn't expect. <laughs> so it's the same with like software development projects and very similar things to that, really. The person from the top has to be interested and has to buy into it. And in fact, one of the good things with data is if you, you can frame it so that phase one will be about you. What do you want to see from a top level? I also think that's, that could potentially be a bit easier from the point of view of trying to build it, because then once you understand the high level, then you can drill down into the more sort of business-specific logic and then get more details in subsequent phases. But if they feel like they're getting something out of it they can use today, it will update daily or immediately or whichever cadence, then hopefully, once they see that it's really useful, that will get them on your side and then you can just sort of go from there. I think wireframes, demos, stuff like that is um, a really useful way to get the imagination going. And um, actually... What I found is if you can show someone a way to effectively automate or make more efficient their workflow of getting a number, that makes them quite excited. 
Usually, sometimes people are afraid they'll lose their jobs. So what you're essentially saying is that rather than coming in and saying, we can use your data to make everything better, you just have to do all of this extra work in addition to what you're doing already. It's much more about bringing it into the existing business processes, giving solutions that help with those business processes. And also it gets worked in like in an easier way. Yeah. It's also useful that this is, so from a DevOps perspective, this is the... uh, the time of automation and automating all the things. So there's definitely a lot of options with that as well when it comes to the ETL transforms and stuff like that. So the hope is that instead of giving people a load of extra work to do, what you're doing instead is empowering them with the information so they can you know, look at that as part of their daily work anyway. You're redefining roles in terms of managing data. So people who, people who may have created reports are now potentially managing that data and owning the data instead. You're still gonna need some amount of manual work in terms of looking for errors or things that don't make sense but the vast majority would then be done for you. That's very interesting that you mentioned reporting because obviously reporting is the the historical data task that we've all been doing for eons and eons and is both incredibly important to get right and super difficult to get right. I mean that's based on my experience. What is the right way to think about reporting? And actually, often with reporting, you're condensing data down from large amounts of data into small, you're kind of rolling up the data. So what's the right way to approach that? It depends on the literacy of the staff, I would say, because there's two options. You can either have well-defined reports that you make available in some way, or you can have a more self-service setup. Self-service is really good because it means that Instead of having to talk to dev teams or the data teams asking for specific information, you can do it yourself. You can learn insights. It can let you go a bit like you go like down a Wikipedia trap. You can go down a data trap and you could learn more things as you go through it. There are some pretty big disadvantages. There's the, the case of being able to understand the tools, understanding what the data means. So you have things like data dictionaries there and make sure they're up to date. There's also danger that you could construct your dashboards in such a way that actually tells you lies. So you have to be really careful with that. I think that's a case of making everything well-defined. And um, that's also where the data team comes in, in making sure that A, you know, the, the staff knows what they're doing, but also B, I think, as a sounding board. So it's not just a case of them sitting in a in a tower somewhere and you go and like, talk to them now and again when you need something. I think it's much more collaborative where you can say, okay, I've got this data, this is surprising to me, is this right? And then they can look through the calculations you've done and because they live and breathe the data, they'll be able to give you quite quick feedback. Yeah, so there's a lot of traps. I guess like another trap that's solved by consistently having the same report is that it's possible to produce a report that looks very similar to the one you produced last month, but is somehow querying the data in a different way and hence isn't comparable at all. I mean, this all feels very apposite at the moment with looking at politics and people producing graphs to show show things (laughs) they want to show and um, misusing data. But obviously what you're saying is you don't have to do that deliberately. You can accidentally yeah. <laughs> end up showing the wrong thing. <clears throat> yeah. It's very easy to do that, I'd say. This is, yeah, when knowing your audience and actually who has access to what dashboards and what data is very important. For example, for a project we did recently, the dashboards that the actuaries would have access to is markedly different than, say, the CFO because you, you can trust the actuaries to have a bit more technical ability and just a bit more wariness, whereas a CFO might not necessarily. 
So and, they could then come to conclusions that were not entirely true. Yeah. So I, I would I would trust that the actuary would be able to take the raw row level data and really drill down into what was going on, whereas the CFO might not, A, have the ability or even the time to do so. And also uh, about knowing the context. So if you're yeah. doing the job already where you, you have all this context and it forms part of your job and you know all the details, yeah. you will interpret it in a different way to someone who comes in cold and just wants to look at a dashboard that basically says red, amber or green. Yeah, <laughs> That's uh, how executives that's manage exactly things. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Well, let's have a, a quick chat about security. So can you talk me through some examples of good data security and poor data security and what are the key things you have to remember? I think touching what you've just said, Vid, about different people having different access, I think that's really important in terms of, not just in terms of, as you say, getting the wrong conclusions, but also making sure people see what they should be allowed to see. So, for example, Tableau has a notion of role-based access controls and you can use like Active Directory or stuff built into it as well. So it means that if, for example, you've got a certain sector of your business, they can only see the stuff that's relevant to them. It means, for one thing, they can focus on their problems or you know their successes, uh, whatever is going on with their data, without getting confused or muddied by anyone else's. But I can imagine also you do want to silo this information off. So that's certainly one way in which that's a, it's a good way in which you can do that through through the dashboard itself. Yeah, certainly Click and Power BI have they they all work use uh, their security sort of have different paradigms, but they all have some form of security or or another, usually role based like um, like Usman says. It's the same as software and everything, right? The security is never in the software. It's always in the person or the user. It doesn't right. really matter how many bugs a software has. The easiest thing to exploit is your end user. So it's just making sure that, you know, even if the right people have the right access to the data, it's making sure they're not doing something stupid with it, like downloading it and that's actually leaving a really on big, a train or something. That's actually a really important point yeah. because I think at the moment people are very used to exporting to Excel so they can do extra stuff, but then emailing it around. And if that's sensitive data then you're sending it through email that could not necessarily be so secure or it could be going if they're sending it to external email accounts that's just that's bad that's really bad (laughs) and it turns into a nightmare quite quickly Mm, very good point that's yeah something certainly we as consultants have to be acutely aware of because especially when we're on client site we'll have a client machine and our own machine it's very it's very tempting i've never done it (laughs) but it's very well just very easy to think oh i better cc you know John, the head of consulting on this email, not thinking that there's an attachment. Any person of any seniority could easily do it, right? Mm. Yeah, you have to be always vigilant. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. I'd like to ask one final question. What's been the oddest piece of data that you've come across? Or if you could only capture one piece of data, what would it be? I'm not sure about the oddest data. You do find some strange things, but oddest is difficult. In terms of capturing data, so I'm the family archivist when it comes to photos and stuff, so I'm uh, currently scanning negatives. So I've got some really old pictures from the 90s of when I'm a baby, and that, that's always quite fun. <laughs> um, I quite enjoy that kind of thing. So that, that's probably the oldest data I'm going to ever touch. Mm. And also this, I mean, it's ETL again, isn't it? Getting it into a, a system so Whoa, that we yeah. can store it for the future and it can be accessible in the future yeah definitely and my dashboard will one day be a photo sharing website i guess presumably in cloud or something yeah oh we'll uh, i think we'll have to have another tech talk on, <laughs> on the cloud i have so much to say <laughs> well definitely we'll take you up on that oddest piece of data is hard so i used to work in consumer banking analytics and the amounts of money people would spend 
on a regular basis was almost sort of aspirational, really. It was inspiring to see that this was <laughs> something you could do <laughs> as a lifestyle. <laughs> now, I always say that the, the two things that make a bit of data interesting, or data is interesting, are either really beautiful, shiny, well-presented data, or really good gossip. And for a project back in my old firm, we were looking at how people were using meeting rooms. And the great thing about meeting rooms is you have to book it with your email address so you can see who's booked something for how long. And that one chart of amount of meeting room time booked per person was probably the most engaging chart I've ever shown anyone ever because they were just giggling for about 10 minutes looking at, you know, Bill's used it for two hours this week or something. <laughs> 25 hours this month or something. That's um, fantastic. It's great. Oh, well, thank you so much, Vid and Usman. Thank you. Thank you. Please do listen to Software Tech Talks on SoundCloud, Spotify and all other podcast apps. 